I had meant to say uh, during the announcements, and I, I forgot, um, we wanted to welcome uh, Rick. Tell me, remind me your last name, Rick. Vassal. Okay, Rick is one of, we pray very often. We, we mention a lot of times in worship uh, our servicemen and women that we keep in prayer. Rick is in the Navy, Navy, just back from Japan and is preparing to continue serving and heading to Rhode Island. And so we want to, we want to welcome Rick. And, you know, you can come up and, and welcome him this morning. I don't normally call out our guests, but the, they made me do it. So don't blame uh, Rick's part of the, the Wise Clan. Isn't that a good way to the Wise Clan? That sounds nice. So um, we, uh, we this morning... Continue with the sermon series we began last week. If you were here, you got introduced to this. If you weren't here last week, for these six weeks together, so f- today and four more weeks, we are uh, doing a series called Conversations on the Front Porch. And it is the essential relationships that, that we believe, that I believe, that God wants in our lives, the kind of people that, that God wants us to have in our our um, web, if you will, of connections. And so really the sermon series is about who sometimes needs to be sitting in this chair. That's why there are two rocking chairs up here because it's, it's not really about um, the chair that we occupy, but, but who occupies the other one. And to be fair, as we said, sometimes we're called to be that person. We're called to be the person that we're talking about. And today is certainly a, a good example of that. Uh, so it's not just about who we need for us, but sometimes who we're called to be for others. And so it's very much a reciprocal relationship. I, I thank Jenny for uh, setting up my lemonade each week. So I have something to... And it's strong. Uh, the, uh, the first service accused me of having a margarita up here. It is lemonade. I will tell you that is lemonade and nothing else, no matter what, how goofy I may get. No comment, please. Now, today we explore, I believe, the relationship that we probably would have expected to talk about. This is probably, I think, the most obvious of the relationships we need in our life. If we had made a list before last week and I had said, you know, who are the kind of people you, you believe that, that God would want you to have in your life? My gut is most of us somewhere going to have on our list a true friend. That's, that's what we're talking about today. Who are the, the what, what's it look like? What's it mean to be a true friend? And, and the challenge for us is do we have those kind of people in our lives? Uh, those kind of really deep, powerful relationships in our life. And, and to do that, we look at the life of David again. If you were here last week, we did this. We started with accountability. We talked about Nathan, David and Nathan's relationship. Today, we, we kind of go a little earlier in David's story, and we look at the character of Jonathan, who is a wonderful um, example for us, a wonderful teacher for us, if you will, of what, what true friendship looks like. Now, again, we, we have to understand the story. I'm going to read just two verses uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 1 in just a moment, but you need to understand the, the setup, if you will. 
If I was to say to you, what's the most famous David story in the Old Testament, what would you say? Goliath. Goliath. That's what most of us probably would say. There's a lot of famous David stories, so maybe you had a different one. But David and Goliath is that story that if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school, and those of us that grew up with the old flannel boards, remember those? And the, you know, you had a David and Goliath kind of narrative there. And it is, it is this um, overcomer story. It's this um, story of the, the, the upset, if you will, Super Bowl Sunday. We'll talk about the upset. David is the ultimate upset, this shepherd who couldn't even wear the armor of, of a soldier. I mean, was too young yet and, and not strong enough to put the armor on, yet he goes out and he faces the giant and he slays the giant. And in the aftermath of the story, David becomes a hero. He serves there in the court of King Saul. And the scriptures tell us that the people respected Saul, but they loved David. And they come into the city. David becomes this military hero. And they come into the city and they, the people proclaim, Saul has, has overcome or slain his thousands. And Saul's filled with joy. And then they proclaim, and David has his tens of thousands. Saul wasn't so filled with joy anymore. And so Saul becomes jealous, and he becomes convinced of his need to eliminate this threat he sees in David, to kill David. And it is some of the darkest days of David's life. And it's a, it's a long story. It's not compact, but over a period of time where Saul's out to kill David. And in the midst of that, David finds his closest ally and his rock, his his best friend, and he finds it in the unlikely place and in the unlikely person of Saul's son, Jonathan. And we'll talk about the unlikeliness of that later. But eight, chapter, in 1 Samuel 18, 19, 20, we read their story. It's interwoven into this story of, of Saul and David. But it is a powerful story, and it gives us a wonderful glimpse and a look of what what, uh, what friendship looks like, what sacrificial um, friendship uh, looks like. And so I read to you two verses in 2 Samuel that David, they're, they're really lyrics that David mourns, that David speaks and sings in his grief after the death of his friend Jonathan and Saul. They died together in battle. I want you to hear what David says of Jonathan. He says, 2 Samuel, verse 25, How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. Now the key, verse 26. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen. Brothers and sisters, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we'd have that kind of wonderful love in our lives. The love of somebody who is closer to us than a brother or a sister. Lord, in these moments, speak to our hearts and how that love can be recognized and lived out in our very, uh, in our very walk with you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I was, I was thinking as, as I was preparing this week, 
And as I was reading the book that this series is based on, uh, what are the, the characteristics, characteristics of, a, of a true friend? You know, we, we see that. That's kind of exemplified in, in Hollywood. When, when I was in seminary, and Tony and I were in seminary together, well, we were there at the same time, um, we would get together with friends every Thursday night and we'd watch a sitcom about friends and, you know, and, and, and it was kind of a, a Thursday night ritual and, and we can think of a lot of ways that friendship is exemplified and lifted up and, and used in a, in a variety of ways. But, but I was curious as to what you would say. What are the character, what's the character of true friendship? And you can just share out loud. What would you say a true friend is? Honest. Somebody who's honest with us. Loyal. Somebody loyal. That's, that's powerful. Somebody who's loyal to us. What else? I heard kind. I heard patient. Supportive. Trustworthy. Okay. Accepting loves you kind of goes together. What else? Anybody else? There for you when you need them. Unconditional. That's really good. That agape love. Hey, all of these are true. We, we could spend hours making a list. I, I think it's an inexhaustible list. I think everything you've said or thought, even if I didn't hear it, is true. The, the definitions of a, of a true friend. A true friend is somebody who loves us even when we make it hard to be loved. A true friend, Len Sweet uses this image in his book, a true friend is someone who has seen us naked and loves us anyway. But not, the, but not the way you think. When he's talking about sees us naked, doesn't mean physically, but has seen who we really are. I mean, has seen you at the raw core honesty, not putting on the pretense, not that kind of um, facade that we sometimes put on in front of other people, but has seen you for who you are and loves you anyway. The person who, like you said, that will be there for you, walks, through, walks with you through the seasons of your life, um, challenges you in the times that you need to be challenged. These relationships sometimes, are, they're not mutually exclusive. We talked about accountability last week. Sometimes that's what your true friend does. He or she holds you accountable. I was thinking for me, a true friend is the person I know that I could call at 2 a.m. in the middle of a crisis who's going to be there for me. The person who I'm not going to worry. There's most people in my life that I'd feel kind of bad about calling at 2, 2 a.m. for anything. But the kind of person that I know is going to take that phone call and be there for me whatever way they can. Those, those are true friends. The, the person that, that's the first to call you when you're going through a tough time. Or the first to show up at your door and knock on the door. And, and we could go on and on and on. These are the, the characteristics of a true friend. And it's interesting, the way that we get introduced to Jonathan and David in their relationship. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, this is right after David killed Goliath in the story there. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. The, the Celtic tradition has a word. Anakara, Anam Kara. Am I right? Close enough? Um, and it means soul friend. 
One of the scriptures, one of the translations says that David and Jonathan, their souls were knit together. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful image of true soul friendship. And, and it's very, very important, and, and Len Sweet talks about this. We're talking here about a true friend, not necessarily a best friend. I always kind of thought those things were mutually exclusive. A lot of times your true friends you kind of consider to be your best friends. They kind of become interchangeable terms for us. But a true friend is different because the reality is your best friend is situational. What I mean is there are times in your life where the best friend you have is the person who holds you accountable. There are times in your life the best friend you can have is the person who mentors you. We're talking about your truest friend, the person who is the most deeply, intimately connected to you. Who is your Jonathan? Because that's who Jonathan was for David. And I believe that God desires us to have one of those in our life. I think if you have one, you're doing well. One of those deep, true friends. But here's, I think, where the challenge is. Because not everybody does. And I think this is where the, the reciprocal nature of this, uh, these relationships is very important because there is the proverb that basically says in order to have a friend, you have to be a friend. And so I think it's healthy for us and important for us to examine the things that sometimes block us from being that kind of a friend because we might find that it's, it's in ourselves that is creating the roadblocks that may keep us from having these kind of intimate deep relationships. And when we look at Jonathan and we look at David, we can see examples that have overcome these roadblocks, these, these sins in our lives. Len Sweet calls them syndromes, S-I-N, that we sometimes face that get in the way. The first is this. Very often, we're more about the I than we are about the V. We're more about the I than we are the V. And, and this is what I mean. We live in, in a time where we're all about the, the, one of those um, uh, cliche words, common words is who's in your network. We're all about networking and having relationships that add value to our lives or serve a need for us. Have you ever had somebody who you were friends with who maybe you hadn't talked to in a long time and they reach out to you through social media or you get a letter or some sort of a connection to find out that the reason that they're reaching out to you is because they started selling a product or they're starting a business or they're doing something and they want you to be part of their network to help them be successful. Now hear me say, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not a deep level friendship. That's a surface level friendship. We have a lot of surface level friendships. But, but we fall into that trap very often. We, we treat people, I treat people, not to use, not to project, let me own some of my own, as commodities. And the relationship is built on the fact that you add value to me. You bring something of value into my life. And so what happens is when you no longer do that for me, that relationship breaks apart, where that relationship doesn't, maybe doesn't even break apart as if it's a negative thing. It just kind of goes away because we tend to be ego-driven in our relationships. And we have to ask ourselves that. Where, where are my relationships more about what I gain rather than what I give? And, and, and we can see that. And we sometimes have to ask ourselves hard questions. Gore Vidal, 
the, uh, the famous author, if you've ever read any of his stuff, famously admitted, he's like, when my friends succeed, a little bit of part of me dies inside. And what he was admitting was that he's jealous, that, that he's basically saying, I want my friends to do well, but not better than me. The, the, the famous painter John uh, Springer, I believe I'm getting his name right, but, but he also famously said that every time he painted a portrait, he lost a friend. As he got more successful, his friendships faded away because there's that tendency within us to be jealous and to, and to be a little bit more about us than about the others, to be ego-driven. Well, that's not what a Jonathan friend is. That's not what a Jonathan relationship is. A Jonathan in your life is that person that desires for you to be even more successful than they are. The, the person you are Jonathan for is the person in your life who you know you are more pleased when they do well than even when you do well. And let's be honest, those relationships are few and far between. But that's who Jonathan was. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, the situation testifies to it. There's a beautiful line in 1 Samuel chapter 20 when David's worried about his life and who he can trust. Jonathan says to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Jonathan says to David, whatever you want, whatever I can do to protect you, to keep you safe, to bless your life, I'm going to do it. Now, I said at the very beginning, Jonathan was an unlikely candidate for this role. And here's why. If you remember the story, Saul fell out of favor with God. And so before David ever faced Goliath, God called the prophet Samuel to go and to anoint the next king. And he anointed David to be the next king. Who would have been in line to be the next king otherwise? Jonathan. Samuel anointed David to be the king in place of the heir of Saul, who was Jonathan. If anybody stood to benefit from David not being in the picture, it was Jonathan. But Jonathan's love for David was real. Jonathan's love and uh, and and care for David was so powerful, he wanted David's success even at his own expense. And he did everything in his power to protect his friend. That's a Jonathan love. That's a Jonathan in our life. And that's what Jonathan exemplified in his relationship with David. The other thing that gets in our way very often with true friendship is it comes at a cost. And that cost is our most precious commodity, our time. We have to invest ourselves in it. And true friendship and the needs of true friends rarely come at the most convenient time. And it will require of us some sacrifice. And again, this goes back to that ego-driven. We're not always very good at sacrifice. We're not good at putting the needs of the other before ourselves. We're not good always of sacrificing that precious commodity of time. And so these things block sometimes us from having these kind of deep, deep, 
true friendships in our lives. And the other, which I think is the biggest, is that we are more concerned with breadth than we are depth. And what I mean is a lot of, and this is more stereotypically more of a guy thing than a, than a, a, a woman or female thing. Now, that's stereotype, so that doesn't always hold true. But what I, what I mean is there's, there's the old adage that a man's best friend is the guy he hadn't talked to in 10 years, you know, that, that we, we, we push back a little bit of relationships that, 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 that go deep. We like wide. You know, how many of you, those of you on social media, you know, 600 friends on Facebook. I don't know half of them, but I got 600 of them. Woohoo! Um, and so we, we like that. But what happens is relationships are also meant to go deep. At least some of them are. And Dan Montgomery talks about these kind of layers, these levels of friendships. He talks about that, that, that very, very surface level, that, that surface level relationship. And that's the ability just to interact with people you don't know, to be polite, to be engaging, to be friendly, the kind of context you have when you bump into somebody at church or at work that you don't really know, but you're able to engage a little bit. That's just a social skill. That's important. And then from there, we move to kind of an acquaintance level. We go down a step. And that's where you've seen that person uh, enough to at least know that there may be a couple strands of, of, of common ground. Maybe uh, you both like sports, so you can talk sports. Or there's some... Um, you know, work-based things or, or maybe politics, which is kind of dangerous, or, or faith um, that you can talk about. So you can go a little bit deeper, but you still do that uh, with some guard. You know, you don't reveal a whole lot. It's just kind of polite conversation. Then we start to get to the more revealing, more personal levels of our And that is we move to, to friendship where we're willing to be a little bit vulnerable. We're willing to share a little bit more. We're willing to be more open and trusting of those people in our lives. And that's risky. And this is why guys a lot of times push back on that. But, but women do too. Because when you begin to develop those kind of relationships, you become vulnerable. When you open your heart to those kind of friendships, as in any kind of a love that we can have for another person, we become vulnerable to being betrayed, to being hurt, to being wounded. And so as we go deeper, we become more open. And the relationships become fewer and fewer. The, the, the deepest level is the true friend level. And that is where we can bear honestly who we are. Where we can let, in, in that image, we can let our friends see us naked and see who we are and the darkness that's within us and, and the struggles we have and, and all of those true emotions that, that are, are challenging and that we wrestle with, we can be completely open, the open book, so to speak. And, and if we're honest, there are very, very few of those people in our lives. And I think maybe that's the way it should be. You, you can't have 50 of those relationships. It becomes a funnel, if you will. The, the surface levels are very, very wide, but as we go deep, it narrows down. The problem is too many of us stop our relationships before they, they get that deep, before they can get to that place. And like I said, guys, we tend to struggle with this more. This is why I've, I've said before, I've seen this play out in my ministry. Men who lose a spouse are so much um, less equipped to deal with it than, than our wives are. And that's not because the pain is any less. It's not. But it's because... Women, as a whole, you do a better job of having those relationships in your life that can sustain you. We don't do that as well, guys. And again, I know this isn't always the case. 
but we need those deep relationships. One of the most powerful scenes, I believe, in the Old Testament is this closing scene of 1 Samuel chapter 20. David and Jonathan set up a, a code, if you will. David's afraid for his life. He's not sure what King Saul's intentions are. And so Jonathan, Saul's son, becomes somewhat of his um, spy. And Jonathan basically says to David, I'm going to go to the banquet. I'm going to find out what my father's intentions are. And I'm going to let you know, you hide out in the spot. And they set up this kind of communication code where Jonathan would come out and he would shoot some arrows and he would send his servant to retrieve them. And the instructions he gave his servant, as he yelled out the instructions, that would be David's indication. If he told his servants that he thought the arrows were shot to the right of where they were, that was his way of saying, David, it's safe, you can come back. But if he yelled out, no, 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 go further... That was his way of saying, you need to flee, you need to run, you need to hide, your life is in danger. And so Jonathan finds out Saul wants to kill David. And he goes out with his servant, he shoots the arrows, and he yells at him, go further. Which is David's cue to hightail it. But before he does, he and Jonathan have a personal encounter. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but the whole reason of this whole elaborate ruse was so that David would not be exposed, wouldn't come out of hiding. But their caring, their love was so powerful, they couldn't not say goodbye. And this is what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 20. After the boy had gone, verse 41, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times. With his face to the ground, they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. That is the deepest love, that that David and Jonathan would grieve, would shed tears, over saying goodbye. It would be the last time David and Jonathan would ever be together. We, we need Jonathans. We need people in our life that love for us is so great that they could not say goodbye. And I know you have people in your life that if you had to go away, you couldn't imagine not saying goodbye. That's the kind of friendship, true friendship that David and Jonathan had. Jonathan wanted the best for David, even at his own expense. And it is rooted, and here's the aha moment. It is rooted in their faith and their trust in the presence of God. In 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan leads, steps out on faith, and he confronts the Philistines in a situation that seems ridiculous. And I can't unpack it all here. Go back and read it. I've preached on it before. But David engages the Philistines, I mean, Jonathan engages the Philistines in a suicide mission because he trusts God's hand. He trusts God's guidance. He trusts God's presence, and he steps out on faith, and miraculous things happen. Three chapters later, a shepherd boy takes a sling and a stone, and he steps out on faith in front of a giant, and he slays a giant. And it is in the aftermath of those events that Jonathan and David came together. Jonathan, Saul, and David a faith that matched his own. He saw a heart that, in fact, I think Jonathan saw in David himself, his other self. Who's that for you? 
Who is that person that matches your heart? And who are you that for? Because if you don't have that person, maybe you need to be that person, that hand you can take. I looked for the story to wrap it all up. And this is what I found. Piglet sidled up next to Pooh, coming from behind. Pooh, he whispered. Yes, Piglet. Nothing, as Piglet took Pooh by the paw. I just needed to know it was you. Who's the paw you take, the hands you take? Whose hand are you for someone else just because they're who they are? That's your Jonathan. I pray that you have one. I pray that you are one. Let us go to the Lord. Gracious God, thank you for true friendship. May that be present in our lives. May we be that for others that we can live out our faith together, live out the love of Christ together, that hand that we can take. We pray for that now and always for all of us as we journey this life together. In Christ, we ask these things. Amen.